Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. This is The Finch Show, and I am James Finch. So let's get into it. My guest on the podcast today is Amy Lee Miller. She is a writer, she is a speaker, and she is a life coach. She has a book coming out next week called Ready, Set, Recruit, The Hiring Manager's Guide to Recruiting with Confidence. Um, I reached out to her because I found all this kind of stuff fascinating. Um, and so we sat down and did a podcast, uh, talked about what it is that her book is about, and then also kind of how she got to the position that she's in. Um, she's a absolutely wonderful person, incredibly sweet, incredibly knowledgeable. And so we talked a lot about, um, you know, hiring candidates and putting your best foot forward. And then also just a lot of stuff like internal self-improvement and uh, the paths that you take throughout life and having the confidence to make the changes that you need to, to try and become the best version of yourself. Um, it was a fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here is Amy. We are here. Amy Miller is here. Um, New York City, right? Right, New York City. I have, uh, as it turns out, I have never in my life actually been to New York City. Is oh, wow. it? Is it? Now, I had a thing years ago where I was driving from Boston to DC. And so you could kind of see the skyline and everything from the highway. Um, but That's I've the always... best part. You got you got it right there. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always wanted, is New York like really everything people make it out to be? Is New York everything people make it out to be? Um, you know, for me, I've always felt like, like when I first decided I wanted to move to New York City, some of my friends discouraged me for, uh, and they say things like, you know, why don't you just move to DC or Boston? Because they're there with they their thought of uh new york is that it's just super overwhelming um so i don't know if that's part of what you mean by is new york everything that people make it out to me to be to me i've always felt like you know you're just in one small piece of new york city at a time so i find it um comforting i don't mm -hmm. i never have found it to be overwhelming mm -hmm. That's a, cause it, you know, for, it, it always sort of feels like, are you originally, so you're not originally from New York city? No, but I have New York city in my genes. So my mom's <laughs> parents, my Nana and grandpa grew up in the Bronx and they moved down to Virginia, Southern Virginia. So a, a couple hours South of DC when they were in their very early twenties, when they first got married. So my mom and aunts and uncles were all born in Virginia. And then I have some aunts and uncles and cousins in and around New York, but I've always wanted to live here since I was little, so. Yeah, because it always seems interesting because it seems like for the people who live in New York City that it's like the center of the universe. And they always tell all of us who have never been there or and never lived there that, oh, you don't know what you're missing and it's just the greatest city in the world. And and I never disbelieved them. I like I never once thought they were wrong, but I've always you know wondered, is is it really... Does it really have that feeling like there's just the city that never sleeps, as they always call it? Yeah. Well, I think the main thing, the main feeling that the city has is energy. You know, so whenever I leave and come back to the city, whether I'm taking the train or uh, flying, when I get closer to the city and when I land or arrive, I feel the energy. So mm -hmm. I think it's feeding off of all of the energy of the people in the city. So there's a, a lot of energy here and it also requires a lot of energy to live here. Everything is an effort, you know, going to the grocery store, carrying groceries, it's a lot of walking, it's exhausting. So it, it requires a lot of energy and I have a ton of energy. So it's a place where I can use up all of my energy. I've never done well in the suburbs. I, I tend to lose my motivation and, and energy um, when, I, when I leave the city, so. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity here. You know, that's why people come. Although, and I don't think that's necessarily going to change too much. Um, I think New York City will always be New York City. But, you know, right now, a lot of people are working from home and that kind of thing and not maybe getting out and exploring as much as before. But mm -hmm. I think that'll come back. Well, it's, uh, it's interesting to see you have a lot of energy because I sort of feel like you need it. Um, when I just look at what it is you do, uh, writer, speaker, life coach, you know, all yeah. these titles that you have to, I'm assuming that that does take a lot of energy. What was sort of the, um, the genesis of you getting to where you are now and what it is that you do? 
which aspect <laughs> you're right i do a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> i'll let you pick just uh yeah take okay. us uh take us on the journey yeah it's definitely been a journey which i think is going to be uh, another book um not too far off but um you know it took me a long time to finally get started on my path i really struggled a lot in college uh, i used to be a very unhappy person in gosh since i was little girl high school college so during and after college, I struggled for a long time to finally get my career started. I felt like very lost and was always searching. And I did finally get my start in uh, sales. I, um, like we talked about, I have a lot of energy. I don't like to be, you know, sitting behind a, a desk too much. So outside sales was, um, was a good start for me. So I started there and then I got into medical sales and then I've always paid really close attention to uh, when something is bothering me and because it's a, an indicator that change is needed. So, um, you know, each each time I look back over my life when I made a, a pivotal move that really changed the, the course of my life moving forward, it was always because something was bothering me and, and didn't feel right. So I got to a point when I was doing medical sales where I had that feeling again and that's when i ended up transitioning into recruiting so i recruit for medical sales and i've been um or for the medical manufacturing industry so i've been doing this now for uh this is my seventh year and um i've always been writing always been creative as well i've tried a, a lot of different creative avenues too um i did stand-up comedy i think that's how we're connected from i think that's how we got connected on uh, instagram but um always been writing and how I got my idea to write this book, uh, Ready, Set, Recruit, that I'm coming out with. Um, one of my clients asked me to come in-house and recruit for their in-house team. And I did give it a lot of consideration. I really appreciated the opportunity, but uh, I like a lot of freedom. So ultimately that wasn't for me. Um, but I decided, or I started, that got my wheels turning and I was thinking about, okay, how can I continue to partner with them and help them once they do go to an in-house team? So then I thought about maybe I could do consulting and, and help them, help advise them through their recruiting process. And um, also, I noticed a lot of I know I do notice a lot of unnecessary inefficiencies throughout the recruiting process and um, I guess I was finding myself getting frustrated and so I paid closer attention to that you know frustration and I thought you know why don't I write a book and that can also help me uh, give me some clout you know to start my consulting because I'd like to transition my recruiting career to consulting. So yeah, I've always been writing, but um, this is the, or a writer, but this is the first time I've kind of brought the two together, my job, job career and my creative writing side. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was kind of long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's okay. Um, what, um, when you say a lot of, uh, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm interested in the entire uh, recruiting process, as you say. And is that like kind of like what uh, somebody like me, the layperson, would think that it's just involving finding uh, qualified applicants to, or qualified, I should say, workers that fit certain positions within an organization? Yeah, absolutely. That is exactly what it is. So um, it's headhunting, recruiting, the same thing. So it requires uh, first, it's important to have a, a solid understanding of what the, the client wants and understand their culture um, as much about the organization as you can. And then with that, with the more insight I have, the better job I can do. And so that's the fun part is building that relationship with hiring managers and helping them to grow their teams and really partnering with them. The not fun part is uh, staring at LinkedIn all day, but that's a lot of what it takes. Um, searching, searching, searching. And then yeah, interviewing folks and um uncovering you know what they're looking for and if it's a good fit and then helping coach them throughout the process and continuing to partner with both the candidate and the manager throughout the process and then if you do a good job then you get more business so that is what has happened for me it's um very busy mm -hmm. the um what uh, i i find it just absolutely fascinating when you say that there were you saw a lot of inefficiencies in in the way recruiting was done um what do you what do you mean by that one example would be so I do recruit for a lot of sales medical sales positions, for example, and you know hiring managers are super busy they're going a million miles an hour in 18 different directions, so they don't always give you all of the details I don't think that they realize how important. Um, 
all of the details at the start can be and in and in taking time on the front end of the recruiting process to really establish what they're looking for and then take some time with the recruiter to communicate that so that everybody's aligned that can make the process smooth and efficient so one example would be um we're recruiting we were hiring for uh, Met, um, manhattan associate sales rep um, and then later on in the process when we've got candidates going to the final interview i find out that the territory also includes albany <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to knock a lot of people out of the process that have already had three interviews and we've wasted a lot of people's time, including the hiring managers. So that would be one example. And then also maybe not clearly aligning or setting candidates up for success by saying, hey, this is what we're looking for in this next step of the process. I'm moving you forward. This is how you can best prepare for this interview. Um, when candidates don't have the information they need to best prepare, they may not best prepare and then we're starting from scratch again so those are just a couple of examples okay the um as you as you're speaking right now and uh people who are going to listen to this podcast are going to hear you do you have um i guess in your experience and having been doing this do you have some i guess um tips suggestions for people who are going going to be going through the interview process because everybody um has had to interview for a job and rarely in my life do I find something, at least for me anyway, more nerve wracking, mm -hmm. uh, you know, especially because you're in that position where you don't personally know the people who are interviewing you, you know what I mean? So you don't know their sense of humor. You don't know, you know, what vibes with them, what doesn't. And so you're trying to like sort of be the best version of yourself that you can, because obviously you're, you're sitting in for an interview because you need a job, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. So yeah. um, in, your, in your experience, do you have some good um, pointers you could give to people? Absolutely. And there's some of that in the book too. And then I, I'm also going to write another book geared toward candidates to help them with that piece too. I think one element that's crucial for both candidates and for managers is to be able to tell your story, which brief and specific, which is this is who I am, this is where I've been, and this is where, where I'm looking to go or what I'm looking to do. Because if you can't articulate what it is you've done and where you want to go, nobody can help you get where you want to go. You know, we won't be able to figure out if it's a, a good fit. So if a, a candidate has challenges articulating their story, I think it would be really helpful for them to practice it, you know, before going into the interview, just, you know, practice verbally out loud sharing your story because you should be able to um share that you know this is where i've been what i'm doing now where i'm looking to go within three to five minutes in an interview if a candidate has challenges doing that and they kind of end up going on a tangent and it takes them 15 minutes to do to share their story well half of the first uh interview is eaten up he's typically going to be a 30 minute phone interview and then what happens is the manager doesn't come away with the information they need to determine whether they want them to move forward so this candidate's already making an inefficient use of the manager's time if that makes sense so that's one tip i noticed you had mentioned that on one of your instagram um videos exactly that that that's kind of like right off the bat sort of a red flag to a manager <clears throat> excuse me and um yeah what um is it as we we're talking about red flags what are some red flags that uh, as a hiring manager you know that kind of click in your head right away when you're dealing with applicants uh candidates who don't answer the question directly somebody that doesn't want to is not comfortable sharing about themselves either um doesn't know what they want or they know that they're not what the manager wants and so they might be skirting around the question, not answering it directly. Like for example, um, who are your target customers right now? Who, who do you call on and what are you selling? If it's a sales position, for example, that's a super basic question. And sometimes candidates have a challenge answering that. Well, they're already making my life much more, my, not my life, my job, <laughs> much more <laughs> difficult because if you can't tell me, hey, this is, this is what I'm doing, I can't determine if you're a good fit and I certainly can't relay that to the manager with confidence. So not being able to clearly, you know, say, hey, this is this is what I do and this is what I want. Um, that's a red flag. Um, let's see. Candidates that uh, don't ask good questions. You can really tell a lot by um, a candidate by the types of questions that they ask. 
um, questions should make sense and, and kind of flow in, in an order that makes sense. So like, um, you don't want to jump ahead with your questions, you know, so first the candidate needs to understand the day in the life of the job so that they can determine if they're going to like it. So if they haven't yet established that and they move on to, well, what's the career progression look like within the company or what is the training or what are the benefits? Well, what difference does it make? We haven't established, you know, you haven't yet established a good understanding of, of what the job is. And if you like it, that's, you know, so that would be another one. How about uh, flipping the table on that? Um, okay. To red flags when you're interviewing for a job and you know the person interviewing you kind of can uh -huh. give off some signals that maybe this isn't the place I want to be. Absolutely. Um, rushed, unorganized interviews. Um, I do work, you know, I work with, I have worked with and do work with a lot of established companies that have been around for years and also companies that are more up and coming in certain divisions or the company as a whole. So I've worked with startup environments as well as established companies and i've noticed um rushed unorganized interview processes in both so it doesn't necessarily just have to be a startup um but i had uh there's one hiring manager that i worked with in the past that would uh call candidates for first interview from the subway in manhattan <laughs> And so she's catching candidates off guard. Uh, they're they're mid-interview. Uh, they answer the phone. They're already in an interview. And then maybe the call gets dropped. There's a lot of distractions. So that could be a pretty good, you know, how I talk about this in my book. I'm sure a lot of people, we've all heard this before, but how we do anything is how we do everything. So, um, you know, everybody's style is their style and it might work for them. But as a candidate, you want to pay attention to how the manager is leading the interview process because that's a good indicator to what it's going to be like working with them so if it feels good you know during the interview process great but if it doesn't then that's something that you want to pay attention to mm -hmm. the worst um the biggest red flag in the world at least in my experience is if you walk into an interview and their very first question is when can you start <laughs> that's like the worst because you're like you are so desperate for staff and there's a reason why that was right, like, uh, you know, yeah. my, we, uh, I joked, I, but we're not anymore, but my wife and I, we met, we were both um, CNAs. And that was always like, you knew that right away whenever you went into um, a different clinic, or especially if you went into a, any kind of long-term care home, you know, mm -hmm. they had to sign up that they were hiring. And when you went in there with your applications, the first thing they said is, is, hey, what shift and when can you start? You turned oh, yeah. around and left right <laughs> away because that was just, mm, no, 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 no. That was always the... Um, it's been years now, but a long time ago, I was uh, in charge of hiring for a company that I worked for. Um, and it, it was a, the nature of the business was one of those where you primarily dealt with um, people who were high schoolers or just out of high school who may be looking for a first job or just a second job. And that was always the roughest thing about the job, at least for me anyway, is mm -hmm. that trying to sit down with somebody and determine you know, because you're trying, because everybody's going to put on their best face when they're giving an interview. And, you know, you, you could never in a million years blame somebody for doing that. You know, they want a job. So, of course, they're going to do everything they can. Um, but every single time as a company, every single time you hire somebody, you're taking a risk. There's a risk involved there, mm -hmm. you know. And so what if somebody just gives the greatest interview in the world? And then when you say, oh, wow, you know, I think this person's going to be fantastic. And then they actually show up and well, show up for work and they're absolutely terrible. You know, they're toxic yeah. or they're lazy. Um, trying to determine that from an interview is really, really difficult, probably because I wasn't trained or well-practiced at it. <laughs> you know, I was just for my company was told, hey, here's a list of applicants, call them interviewing them. I'm like, I've never done an interview before. How am I going to interview somebody? I probably wish I would have had your book back then. Yeah. Pardon me. The other side that I thought was really interesting um, in your your list of attributes here was life coach, um, mm -hmm. which is something that I find absolutely fascinating. The um, what uh, what kind of aspect or angle do you do you take towards that? Um, angle. Uh, let's see. I don't know if I understand your like. How, how do I go about <laughs> it? Like, what is my approach? Is that what you mean? Yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those things um, where it, it feels like in my life I've met a few life coaches, and it was always interesting to me how you know, you have something, I, I don't mean to be rude to electricians, but you, when you have an electrician, like an electrician's an electrician, you know, they have these tools and this is what they do. Every mm -hmm. life coach I've met 
have always been such different flavors and personalities and every single one of them has been great. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why you don't understand my question is because I don't know how to ask it. Because <laughs> basically what I'm saying is, is that I guess for you personally, um, what is it that you like about that? And what is it that you like to bring to it? Yeah. So, well, I'll start if it's okay by sharing why I decide how I decided I want to go into that. So, uh, I really struggled a lot growing up from the time I was very little until well into my thirties. Um, you know, pretty unhappy a lot of my life. I think outwardly, nobody would have known that, you know, I was successful, continuing to, to better myself. Um, but I just never felt good. Um, there was always this underlying unhappiness that, that followed me around. And so I was on a constant quest my entire life to, to feel better. And I tried, I'm really big on self-improvement. So I, I read lots of books. I saw different therapists. Uh, I did consult with a life coach, other spiritual leaders, but really, um, what helped me finally get happy was identifying the real issue. So that was a problem. I never, I hadn't uncovered the real problem as to, as to why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. And once we identify a problem, then we can solve it. And not until then. And I talk about that in my book too, and how that relates to the recruiting process. But basically if, um, surface level challenges keep showing up in our life, it is to draw our attention to a deeper issue that needs healing. And so once I was finally able to identify, oh, this is the issue. And it was not easy. It was incredibly painful um, to identify it and then heal it and go through it. But it didn't take me long at all once I I finally identified the issue. And I had spent a lifetime trying to feel better. And so you have a lifetime of pain and then the um, big pain of actually identifying the issue and healing it, but then you feel better. So I felt like I can't, I feel like I can help others um, go through that, identify their challenge and get happier much more quickly. Uh, So that's one thing that I want to be able to help people with. And then also I've always been, well, this is one thing I've always had. I'm a big believer in myself, whatever I set my mind to, I'm going to do it. And um, you know, we don't all want the same things, but I think it's very important. We all want something and, um, we're the only ones that can really hold ourselves back. So when we can get out of our own way by either uncovering a challenge and then working through it, or really listening to ourselves and saying, Hey, this is actually what I really want to do. I've just not been pursuing it. Uh, also to inspire people that, Hey, you can accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish first uncover what it is, and then just take the first step. Um, so throughout my quest of trying to, you know, get happy and and feel better, I've learned a lot of, um, practices that uh, people can implement that can make the process so much easier. So that's why I'm doing it. And my approach is first I ask questions, um, because we all have answers within ourselves, but the challenge is we don't always listen to ourselves. Listening to ourselves can be a hard thing, um, especially when we're unhappy or, or we're stressed. We can't I see the problem, and so we can't see a solution. So I ask a lot of questions up front, and I can typically figure out what it is very quickly, what the challenge is, but I kind of let my clients come to that conclusion by drawing it out of them. Mm-hmm. I think you're 100% right. I think um, we we're in this situation where cognitively, you know, the person wants comfort, you know, the person wants to find a place of comfort, which isn't good bedfellows with growth sometimes, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that's, I, I, I love the way you put it because, you know, the hardest thing in the world is to stand in front of the mirror naked. And, and I don't mean literally, um, mm-hmm. you know, cause I think a lot of the times, and, and I know, and I, I, like I said, I absolutely love the way you put it because I've been there where you're just like, you're really, really upset. Subconsciously, you know, what's wrong, maybe mm-hmm. even more than subconsciously, you know, what's wrong, but your, your body's attempting to bury it underneath the sand because it's not something that either you want to face or you're ready to face. And, um, yeah, but at the end of the day, you kind of have to, if you're ever going to move past, whatever it is, is bothering you and kind of move on and get yourself to a better place. Absolutely. and. I started to talk about this before, but each time in my life, looking back, um, when I made, you know, a move toward something that was so much better, 
I was really, really unhappy about something, you know, different levels of unhappiness. But um, like before I decided to move to New York, I'd wanted to live in New York my entire life since I was a little girl. I remember asking my mom when I was eight years old, if we could please move to New York. And of course she said, we'll see. That's what parents say. <laughs> so uh, decades later, I finally got here. But right before I made the decision to move, I was getting to be in a pretty dark place. I just felt, you know, I had a job. I had my career started, but I was just unhappy. And I just felt like I wasn't connecting with anybody. Um, so if I hadn't been squeezed, I talk about this a lot in my book and in my videos about how discomfort is a tool um, because it's, it's an indicator that we need change and we don't often make that change until we get uncomfortable enough. A lot of times our problems will follow us around until they get so big that we can't ignore them. And then that's when we make a change. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely love um, another one of your uh, podcast videos. You had me mentioned that um, you as a person have to be the your own measure of success in your mm -hmm. own eyes. And I think that we get so caught up in what we think think we're supposed to do if that mm -hmm. makes sense Absolutely like you know you're supposed you're supposed to go to this college you're supposed to get this degree you're supposed to buy this house you're supposed to get this white picket fence you're supposed to marry this kind of person you're supposed to have two and a half kids you're supposed to have a 401k you're supposed to you're supposed to you're supposed to you're supposed to mm -hmm. and the amount of people in my life that I've met who all along their path hit those check marks and they're just miserable people Mm -hmm. And I don't mean miserable outwards, just inwardly. You can tell they're just, they're not happy. They feel unfulfilled. They're constantly stressed. They're constantly, and, and you can tell it's because you've, and I had a conversation with a friend of mine. And when you said this, it like put it so accurately, um, is that he felt like he was everything that everybody thought he should be. Mm -hmm. So why isn't he happy? Why yeah. does he feel depressed? And I don't mean clinically because being depressed and being clinically depressed are two different things. Mm -hmm. um, and the way you put it was just absolutely right on point. Thank you. Yeah, I think, um, you know, some people, it can be hard to listen to ourselves and to give ourselves, I call it giving ourselves moments, you know, moments that we feel like we, we really want to do this. We're being called to do this. I just feel like doing this, but maybe we don't do it because we feel like we should do something else. So an example would be, and, and I don't have kids. So, um, but still like, for example, let's say a mom maybe has young kids and she really, really wants to go to yoga and she keeps putting that off and never going to yoga because she feels like you know, she needs to always um, be home taking care of her kids, but the better we take care of ourselves and, and do what it is we're called to do, the better we can be to those around us. So your person that you were just talking about, who's depressed, you know, if they were happy, we project how we feel about ourselves onto those around us. So it's really not a selfish thing to pursue the things that are meaningful to us that we, that are calling us that, you know, I feel like doing this. It's really important to listen to that and do those things. Um, because there's a reason that whatever that thing is, is calling to us. There's something that it's either something that's meant for us, or we're going to discover, you know, a new path going in that direction, but then the happier we are, the better we are to those around us. But if we're not in that habit of listening to ourselves and, and what it is we truly want, we're, we're not used to that. So it can be uncomfortable at first making that change. You know, anything we're not used to doing can be uncomfortable. But I started that practice a long time ago. Um, I feel like doing this. You know, I'm, I'm going to do this. It, it was uncomfortable at first. Like I wor I've worked from home now for several years. And, um, you know, so I have the flexibility if I want to go do a workout class in the middle of the day, I can. But when I first started working from home and, and I gave myself that freedom to do that. I felt really guilty about it, you know, but now it's just like, I do what I want when I want. I have set up my life so that it's like that. And I get all my work done mm -hmm. with greater efficiency because I'm happy because there's less of the mental mind clutter and, and stress going on. Mm -hmm. Well, we sort of have that uh, here in the United States, I guess we still sort of have part of that ethos, right? that you get up, you work hard, you don't quit. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that there aren't good attributes to that, but you know, I think that uh, unfortunately sometimes get, some people get so caught up in that again, because like we, you know, we were saying, they feel like that's what they should be doing. 
Yeah. And then they can't figure out why they're so unfulfilled at the end of the day and why they feel so empty. And, and so, you know, and, uh, you know, if you were, had the ability to be um, the greatest violinist in the world, but you got a job working at a car factory because that's where your dad was and that's what you were supposed to do. And now you've been there for 20 years and you just come home every day, tired at the end of the day and put your feet up and drink beer and watch sports and can't figure out why your life sucks. Well, that's, (laughs) you know, that's probably partly why, you know, <clears throat> um, totally. I um, encourage people to think of think of it like this. We succeed at what we focus on, and anybody can likely prove that to themselves just by looking at their life and where they are successful, and remind themselves that okay, I succeeded here because that's where I focused my attention. So if um, you know one of my clients, life coaching clients, is super successful in his business, but he's got all these other bigger goals that are calling to him. So he's a little bit unhappy because he feels buried in his work when he really wants to be focusing on these other things. So I talked to him about um, giving, taking moments to devote, to dedicate your time toward what it is you really want, because we succeed at what we focus on. So if you keep just focusing on your business now, that's where you're going to be next year, the year after that, the year after that, if there's something else you want, you have to give it attention. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason that that the idea, you know, is is coming to you. There's a reason that that you want it. So right. I mean, that's uh, what you're saying. That's precisely why you and I are talking right now. <laughs> that's precisely <laughs> why I have a podcast. Is because that's it was. Awesome. I love it, it. You know, it was one of those things where um, I, I, you know, and I started the podcast probably about oh, I don't know two and a half, three years ago, something like that, and. Um, I have a I have a job that's a paying gig. Um, it pays extremely well. I'm really good at it. It is insanely boring. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I have a house. I have a wife and kids, and you know, I had a responsibility to take care of them. However, that didn't mean that on the side I couldn't find an outlet for creativity and fun and doing something that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, ever since I was a kid, um, I, I wanted to be on the radio. You know, originally it was one of those things where I wanted to wanted to be the guy giving the top ten hits of that week. You know, and you have a great voice. You have a great voice. Oh, thank you, thank you. My wife's yeah. tired of hearing it most days, but I appreciate it. Um, the um, so and then wanting to do radio, wanted to talk radio, and I kind of ended up with, with a choice where I could either give up everything that I was doing and go to a broadcasting school and do that, or I could just buy a microphone and start pumping it out on the internet. So so here we are. So um, I think you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are afraid of failure. I think more than anything, they think, well, what if I take this huge risk and I fail? And personally, I feel like, well, then you fail. Well, then you do something else or you try again. You know, Mm -hmm. you can take any successful person out there, you know, even the the greats that we look at, anybody from, you know, Michael Jordan to, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, Success, I've I've realized, is not a straight path. It it rarely is. You know, Mm -hmm. so many people fail more than they succeed, even the greats, you know, there's nobody who like, you know, they're born and they come out golden and everything they do the rest of their life is absolutely perfect, you know, then, and I think, uh, I, I think taking that leap is really important and having the courage to take that leap um, can be some of the most transformative things in your life. Absolutely. With failure, I talk about this in my book too, about um, failure and, and perseverance. And I don't really think that, I, I guess I don't really believe in, in failure um, or it needs a new definition or something, I think, because when we don't succeed at something, when we don't get the desired outcome that we wanted, we gain something, we gain some knowledge. So the next time we try that thing, we're going to be better at it. So we've gained, we're now more equipped to go further faster, you know, than we were before. So, you know, we're always going to be better the 100th time we did something, we tried something versus the first time. And if we were to just jump ahead, like for example, I wanted to be a writer since I was a little girl, but if I didn't go through all of the experiences and the challenging times, I would not have written this book because I wouldn't have all of the information, you know, that I learned mm-hmm. to, to put in, in the book. So that's my take on, on failure, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I love the way you put that about um, giving it a new name. You're absolutely right. Because mm-hmm. that has such a stigma to it. The word failure. Oh, so-and-so is a failure. Oh, so-and-so tried this and they failed. So-and-so tried this and they failed. And I always think, well, at least they tried. 
you know, at least it was, you know, if it was something they were really passionate about, something they really wanted to do and they gave it her all and they failed there, you know, there's, there's no dishonor in that. There's no need to look down on somebody. Heck, they had the, you know, they had the intestinal fortitude and the bravery to do it where most people don't. So I, I, I wish there was, I wish there was another word we could supplant for that because it, it has such negative connotations. And I feel like anything that you're going to learn from shouldn't mm-hmm. have such negative connotations to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I've always felt that uh, anytime we're basing our decision on fear, it's a wrong decision. So we need to go the other way because like I mentioned before, we're the only, I think I mentioned this before, but we're the only people that we're the only ones who can hold ourselves back. And often we let fear get in the way and we stop ourselves before we even get started thinking way past, you know, just the first step. Well, how am I ever going to get there? How am I ever going to make it happen? You know, sometimes when I'm sharing my goals with friends, they might say, well, how are you going to do that? I don't worry about how I just get started. I just listen to what it is I want. And I get curious. Like if I get an idea about something, I kind of sit with it. I get curious about it. And then, then I get excited. And and then the first step comes and then you take the first step and then the next step comes. If we, when we're so focused on whether or not we're going to succeed and and how we're going to do it, we often don't even get started. Mm -hmm. And so that's failure. I think just never not getting started. Right. Absolutely. And there is a, there is a book out there. I don't know if you've ever heard of this book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Um, yeah, definitely. It's one of those books where um, I find myself several years buying copies of it because it's a book I just love to give to people. And it's not a really long book, um, but it encapsulates exactly what you're talking about in the sense that anytime there's something you want to do, like let's say you want to write a novel. Let's say you want to write a podcast. Let's say you want to go to nursing school there are going to be all these voices in your head telling you, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And the, those voices are resistance and resistance is your enemy to anything that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've given out I've probably dozens of copies of this book to people because I think it's so, it is so good. Like once you realize, cause you tell yourself like, Oh, I would love to do that, but how am I going to do my, you know, how am I going to pay my bills while I do that? I mean, I really could do it, but God, am I really smart enough to do that? You know, all these things are just, you know, they're just little demons in your ear trying to discourage you from doing it is what you want to do. And you would find that if you just find your own way to press through that, Mm-hmm. you're going to end up accomplishing way more than you ever thought you could. I will definitely, I'll send you, I'll send you a link as soon as we're done with this. Cause it's, it, it's a book that I absolutely love to give to people. Um, okay, great. Yeah, I would love that. I think, uh, so an, a mindset that I adopted years ago that was given to me by an acquaintance, we weren't even really good friends. Her name is Haley. So shout out to Haley, wherever you are. <laughs> I don't know her last name. We waited tables briefly together. Um, back when I was in Virginia. And this was when I finally decided, okay, I'm, I'm moving to New York. I had started my medical sales career and that, you know, I was unhappy. And then I decided, okay, I'm doing it. I'm moving to New York. So I started applying and I got my first job interview in New York. So I was really excited, you know, I was going to drive out here and then I got scared. So this is, it's human nature, the doubt, the fear creeps in. And I happened to run into Haley. We were both in medical sales at that time. And so we ran into each other in the field. And I started telling her um, about my interview. And and then I I told her I was scared. I said, what if I don't get it? And she said, why wouldn't you get it? And I just thought, oh my gosh, wow, what what an amazing mindset. I could just switch my mindset and I could just from now on think, what if I do get it? Of course I'll get it. What if it does work out? So I think that's a, a great trick that anybody can imply whenever that fear, which is human nature is totally natural. Uh, creeps in, we just switch it to what if it does work out? Yes, it will. Of course it will. So that's how I approach everything that I go after. I mean, when I had my first life coaching call with my first life coaching client, I was scared when, you know, nervous when I was about to dial, because I thought, what if I don't help him? (laughs) What if I can't? Um, And then I said, what if you do, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and same thing with my book, I had it um, pretty much written. And then I started to get scared what if this is, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you just switch it and you just keep going because there's a reason that we're drawn to the things that we're, we're drawn toward. Right. And you're, you know, it's, you nail it on the head. Like here I am. I, you know, I told you earlier that I've been 
um, doing this podcast for two and a half, three years. And so somebody on the outside could say, well, yeah, that's, you know, that's James. He's got a podcast. That's, that's what he does. Um, and yet I go through that resistance on a regular basis as well. You know, I've had times even doing this podcast where, you know, I'll, I'll get to a point where I'm like, God, is this something I really want to keep doing? Am I even any good? Are people even actually listening to this? Um, and then inevitably what happens is I'll be scrolling through, um, Twitter or Instagram or something, and I'll come across somebody who's really, really interesting. And I think to myself, that'd be a really cool person to have on the podcast. Right. And it'd just be great to have a conversation with that person. Like, I just want to know more about this person, about what it is they do. And it mm-hmm. seems like, you know, as soon as that happens, the flame reignites. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm looking back at the geek again, like just a couple of weeks ago, I was actually thinking about quitting doing this. Why would I ever oh think gosh. about quitting doing this? I'm glad you didn't. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was the same way with you. And it, it to me, it's fascinating. Um, every single person on the planet has a story to tell and every single person on the planet has something interesting to say. Um, right. And that's what, you know, for a while I was really stressed doing this podcast. Cause when I first started, like my first four or five episodes were people that I knew in real life. There were people who had been friends of mine for years and they just came over and we sat down on my kitchen table and talked. Um, and then after that, I started getting really stressed out. Like, how am I going to get guests to be on this podcast? How am I ever going to, like, I know there's literally billions of people on this planet, but how am I ever going to find these people? Um, and it, it comes to you in the most interesting ways. You know, yes, Laura, yeah. Laura High was on my podcast last purely because she popped up in my TikTok feed. Mm-hmm. And she's absolutely hysterical, as, as I'm sure you well know. Uh, sent her a message. She agreed to come on the podcast. We started following each other on Instagram. You know, so then I start networking out. I start looking, well, who's, oh, who's this person, Amy? Uh, and I start watching. I'm like, this person is freaking, this person's fascinating. This is great. I got to get in contact with this person. Um, so I always tell people that um, if you ever feel like, you're getting in a rut or you're not getting where it is you think you want to go, keep pushing, keep pushing. Usually you're a lot closer to breaking through than you actually think you are. That was insanely long-winded, but you get the point. I do get the point. I absolutely <laughs> love that. I uh, I read a book by Vicki King because among the many things that I do, I also write, uh, I want to write, um, do screenwriting, write movies. So I've written three and they're on that project is, setting set aside for now, but at some point I'll, I'll tackle that again. But Vicki King uh, wrote a book, how to write a movie in 21 days. I'm very process oriented. So give me a process. I'll follow the process and I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I'm not, you know, very good at that. But in her book, she talks about how you'll always notice this in the movies right before the, um, the main character, uh, gets what they want. They, um, they give up and they're often like really, really close, you know, to the solution finding them. So I call it the uh, state the problem and give up concept. So in, in life, when we're feeling super frustrated, we don't know the answer. We're just unsatisfied or, you know, unhappy with something. I think we can really um, get where it is we want to go by taking the pressure off and just stating the problem. Okay. The problem is I don't know how I'm going to get people on this podcast. Okay. And then, um, give up, just let the, let the pressure go, give up, get present with something that you do have locked down that you know how to do. And then the solution usually finds us. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I felt, uh, I do motivational videos as you've probably seen some of them on, on my YouTube and Instagram, but you know, sometimes maybe when I haven't done one in a while, or, uh, I'll just feel like, is this stupid? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is, this, is this helping anybody? Um, and then I'll get, you know, a message, an encouraging message from somebody that, you know, they loved it and it really helped them. So mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. And I've been there too, where I, you know, I'll, um, cause I don't have a set schedule for episodes for this show. It's just, you know, I kind of just move from, you know, okay, whenever I can erase. So sometimes there'll be, you know, a week in between episodes. Sometimes there can be a month or more in between episodes. And, you know, I'll kind of have a gap in there. And I'm sort of like, man, you know, just like I said before, I'm not sure. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'll get somebody who I don't even know, who's just a follower of the show, who will just like send me a DM on Instagram and be like, what the hell, man? It's been like two months. What's going on? Oh, nice. What's yeah, going so on? And then then you sort of feel like, wow, Todd from Georgia needs me to kick it in the ass. I need to get another, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's, it's tough because, 
you know, and as we've said over and over and over again, that it's like, it, it's almost like there's two parts of you inside of you. and One of them wants you to fail. And a lot of that is, is I think that one side of you is attempting to be the overprotective mother, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You, you need to stay safe and you need to stay over here and you need to just keep doing what you're doing. And that, mm-hmm. that can be, and the, the other half of that is having the confidence um, to either do what it is you want to do, or at the very least have the confidence on top of that, that if you do do what you want to do and you fail, that you're going to be okay that mm-hmm. it's not going to be the end of the world. And I think, um, at least me personally, that was something I struggled with all through my teens and my twenties. I, I struggled with self-confidence horribly, horribly. Mm-hmm. And I could get into the long story behind that and I'm not going to. Um, and then eventually that you, you sort of realize that, yeah, confidence can be something I think, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this. I think confidence can be something you're born with. I think a lot of the times it's molded into or out of you, dependent upon your life experiences and what it is you go through growing up. Um, but that doesn't mean that if you don't have confidence, that that's not something that you can garner. I definitely think it's something that you can build upon and find if it's something that you're struggling with. Um, how about you? <laughs> what? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I think, well, I think that there we can be confident in one area and then not confident in another area. And I definitely think that we all have uh, challenges that we went through when we were younger that shape us as we move forward throughout our lives. Um, and not that it's we all had horrible parents or anything like that, but I think most of us, if not all of us, had some kind of traumatic or very painful experience when we were younger. And then what happens is we develop these beliefs about ourselves in order to cope with that. Because when we're kids, we we don't know how to take care of ourselves. We don't know how to deal with problems. So we deal with them maybe in a way that's not very healthy for us, which is um, like if we're bullied, um, you know, maybe as a kid, maybe we develop the mindset that um, we don't belong. And then we grow up, we go through our lives consistently feeling like, you know, we don't belong. And then what happens is we continue to have experiences that draw us back to that emotion, they're triggering experiences because that, that mindset needs to be healed. It needs to be switched. So, um, for me growing up, I I was popular. I had friends, um, I was confident in some ways where like, for example, I didn't really, I would always stand up for myself and speak my mind and maybe stand up for other people. So I kind of didn't care what people thought of me. I was confident in that way. Um, But there was another area that I was very not confident, like seriously lacking self-esteem because of the, the challenges that I had gone through. So I think that's probably true for most of us. You know, we have some areas where we're not confident other areas where, um, we are confident, but yeah, we can absolutely change that, you know, by, by figuring out and uncovering what the real issue is, we can heal it and then have greater self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's just being aware of your comfort zone and being mm-hmm. okay with stepping out of your comfort zone is a huge part of that. Um, that's one of the things that I, I, I realized several years ago is that in some ways, how scary and yet exhilarating it can be to throw yourself into an area that's outside your comfort zone. Hundred percent. Like, like, just, just plunge into it and see what happens. Yeah. You'd be, mm-hmm. you'd be surprised because we're all a lot more confident than we think we are. We're all yeah. have a lot more ability than we think we do. You mm-hmm. know, um, the only exception I take to that is like ultimate fighting. That's something. That's something I'm going to throw myself into. That's just. I'm oh my gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about. It. They always say it doesn't hurt to try, but in that one case, I will, I will say that that's that's very much different. Um, well, this has been great. I, I do want to ask. So. Um, your book, Ready, Set, Recruit, The Hiring Manager's Guide to Recruiting with Confidence. Coming out next week? Yes, coming out next week. I'm aiming for January 26th, Wednesday, to release it, but I might have to push it back just a little bit. I'm just working on wrapping up a couple other things. So, but yeah, that's the the plan. Okay. Uh, You want to give folks a quick rundown of your book? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Ready, Set, Recruit, the Hiring Manager's Guide to Recruiting with Confidence. So it is geared toward hiring managers to help them streamline their recruiting process and eliminate some of those unnecessary 
inefficiencies and, and challenges. So, you know, sometimes we get to the end of the process and we realize looking back, we, we missed these red flags. How did we, or we hired the wrong candidate or spent all of this time um, pushing the wrong candidate to the end of the process and, and they're not the right fit. So um, I feel like I have mastered the process and I, I wanna help. I wanna help hiring managers by, I'm kind of looking at it from, an outside perspective, kind of like a bird's eye view where I can look in and identify this is an issue, this is an issue. If you just did this a little bit differently, your lives would be much easier. I wanna continue helping hiring managers, um, yeah, make their lives easier. However, there's also a lot of um, tips in, as far as like life direction, problem solving, listening to our gut instinct, getting curious about um, our problems or our emotions, why we feel the way we do about certain things and letting these things uh, guide us toward the right path for us. So it can also help as kind of like a, a self-help motivational, inspirational book for um, anyone. And then there's also some good tips in there for candidates on resumes, um, interviewing tips, how to tell your story. Is that a good rundown? Yeah, that... I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, the, you're the matchmaker, you're like the hitch of the, of the, the career yeah. world. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh, and we're all can, uh, people, folks can get it on Amazon. Yes. I'm um, starting with Amazon for now. I'll have ebook, uh, which ebook, the ebook is going to be, um, very reduced during the first, uh, launch week and the couple weeks after, and then I'll have, of course, um, hardcover and, and paperback. So just on Amazon for now. Fantastic. And, um, I, where all can people follow you at those who are interested? Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to connect with folks who want to um, talk about the book or, you know, life in general or, or follow my videos. Uh, so I have TikTok, I have Instagram, and I have uh, YouTube. And so those channels are all um, being Amy Lee Miller. That's maybe cheesy, but that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is that is fantastic. Um, this is this has been a great conversation. Um, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on. Um, I, I want to say to all the folks out there, how about a round of applause? There we go. They're all clapping as they're listening. I guarantee it. Well, all right, Amy. Well, hey, I, uh, it was great talking to you. Um, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. I would um, love that. Yeah, this has been really fun. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and I just want to say, um, yeah, wish you nothing but the best of luck. Thank you. You too. Yeah, it's a great right. conversation. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. We'll take care now. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. So that was the episode with Amy Miller. I hope you enjoyed it. I absolutely love talking to her and I definitely look forward to having her on again in the future. Um, I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to the podcast, for helping spread word about it. Every single person who's reached out to me through direct messages, email, everything else like that, please keep it coming. I absolutely love it. If you could do me a favor, Please like, subscribe, tell a friend, tell them to tell a friend. And if you're listening to this on an Apple device on the upper right-hand corner, there's a spot to leave a review. If you could do that, that would be amazing. Every single little bit of this helps. Once again, I want to say thank you to all of you. I love all of you. I hope you take care of each other, and we'll talk to you next time.